0: Welcome to the third episode of Retail Renegades. I am Tony Dana, director of 3Score Market Limited. Uh, Retail Renegades podcast looks at people or businesses who think outside the box. Specifically, we're looking at the vending industry as a whole to give everyday people a true perspective of our industry and both the challenges and triumphs that come with it. If you haven't yet, please like or subscribe or do both on YouTube as we'll be posting a new episode on the 15th of every month. I am extremely pleased to introduce Tim Varney to this episode. Tim is the CEO of Revive Ending and Doozy Life. He's also an owner of a holiday complex in Italian, Turkey called Bayez Villas. And finally, probably most importantly, is the chair of trustees for a charity called Educade. Tim, welcome to the episode. How are you doing?
1: Yeah, good. Yeah, very good, Tony. Thank
0: you. Yeah, I ran out of breath there talking about all the different things that you got going on.
1: <laughs> yeah people people often ask um how do you uh how do you do all these different things but thankfully it's all about having some good people working working in in the different organizations so um yeah.
0: i'll be honest when i was doing the it's research, too crazy yeah when i was doing the research tim i was like jeez like I'm a little stressed out with, with my job and, you know, really it's, I'm three square market and here's this guy, he's got this company, this company's he got these villas, he's got that. So yeah, I'm excited to, to kind of pick your brain. And I guess, you know, um, you've got four, four different businesses that, that you're running and really I think a lot of times like, as us as employees and we have owners that are above us we just kind of look at it where it is right now and you never really appreciate how how you got to where you are and and uh you know some of the outlooks for the future so let's let's take it all the way back before you even started your your own vending business and you know the research i see you're an operations manager for a company called Intex vended refreshment services where I could not find any history of that company online.
1: (laughs) No, there wouldn't wouldn't be much. No. Um, just to take it back one step further than that. I was, um, I was actually in the sea cadets for four years, um, as a teenager. And, um, and I wanted to go to the Navy. Um, that was my, that was my plan. Um, and I applied and I went through the procedures and then one day I got a letter saying, dear Mr. Vani, you failed to compete in the competition and we wish you luck in another career. And, uh, and that was it. Um, four years of looking forward to going to the navy, and it never happens. Um, so I put my job, put my name down at the careers office, and um, and a job came up as an apprentice service engineer for a vending company called Intex. I applied. Apparently, I was the only person that went forward for the interview that knew how to wire a plug uh, in, <laughs> in in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> On that basis, I got the job. I- <laughs> Um so I I started as an apprentice service engineer. Okay. Um and what did that? that for about a year.
0: So outside the vending industry, what is an apprentice service engineer?
1: Okay. So um so so I was learning how to uh, repair vending machines. Um this was uh, 1982. Um I started. I was 16, about to turn 17. Um and um uh, and it was fantastic. I loved it. I was playing a, playing about with machines, pulling them apart, which is what I enjoyed doing at home, playing around with things. Um, at the age of at the age of about five, I put a knitting needle into the back of a TV and blew the TV up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I managed not to blow myself up, but <laughs> literally, I, I I got a knitting needle and I put it in the, through the back of a TV and blew the TV up. Um, and, I and uh, heard of Didn't that. get an electric shock somehow. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I always played always played with electrics and, and, and stuff, so being an apprentice service engineer was great. Um, and I did that for about a year, and then my boss, um, a guy called John Moffitt that some people in the vending industry would know of, um, said to me, Tim, he said, I think you've got an eye for sales. Would you like to have a go at sales? And um, I was now coming up for 18, and I said, um, yeah, why not? If you think I, I can do it, I'll have a go. Um, and for the next two years, got completely destroyed as a young 18-year-old cold calling around industrial estates around Wiltshire. Um, I was not treated very well and it was soul destroying. Um, but I managed to get some success and, 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 and sold some machines. Um, the company started to grow and then, and then my um, boss said, Tim, we need somebody that can run the, the operations department. Um and I suggested that they bring the operations department and the service department together, and I ran the whole thing. How um, old were you then? And uh, uh, I was nineteen twenty. That's and a, that's a big um, statement
0: to make at nineteen
1: twenty. Well, I, I, what I actually did was um, I wrote because did, we didn't have computers. There was no computer, so I wrote, and I still have this—a um, three-page essay. Um, on what I felt needed to be done to the two departments to bring them together. And I walked into my boss's office on a Friday afternoon and I said, John, um, have a read of this. Um, these are my thoughts. If you, if you want to not do anything, that's fine. But I just wanted to give you my thoughts. And so I walked out of his office on the Monday. He called me into his office and he said, Tim, um, I've read through your, your, your letter. I've spoken to my family because it was a family business. And he said, I've decided to implement everything you've said. And we're going to do it this week. And that week he spoke to all the staff of which there was, I don't know, 15, 15 staff spoke to all of them, t- t- told them what my position was going to be. Bear in mind that all of them were a lot older than me. Um, by the Friday, he told everybody we'd moved all of the, um, spares and, and the operating departments, those in one, in one building, He yeah, had three buildings. It was five thirty in the afternoon. Everybody had gone home. He walked me over to the building. He handed me the keys for the building, and he looked at me in the eyes and he said, "Right, my boy, it's over to you now." and he got in his car and drove home <laughs> <laughs> so I mean,
0: as a nineteen twenty year old now you have you know employees that are forty fifty you know have way more experience yep. in the yep. industry than you How do you?" How do you like go in there and still the confidence and what were some of the setbacks on that? Because that's interesting. Dealing
1: with well one of the one of the interesting jobs I had was the engineering department at the time um was uh was just not very efficient. Engineers would would, would turn up in the morning, probably not get out and do their first service call till eleven, eleven thirty in in the in the morning, and by three o'clock, um wanted to go home. <laughs> and and they've got away with that for a long time and I had to Say sorry, guys. Things are, things are changing. So you can imagine, I had a, a little bit of kickback. <laughs> yeah. um, but we worked, you know, we went our way through it, and 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 I took the knots, and gradually we started to change things. Um, and after um, we after two years um, of, of doing that, probably um, a bit a bit longer than that, I was still involved in sales to some degree. I, there was still a few customers that I looked after um the department was running well um and we had a new a new um, guy that had joined the company in sales a guy called um brett who, who again somebody some people that know me would, would have known brett in the industry he was in sales he, he was doing very well starting to sell more machines a bit the, the company was growing but then my boss wanted to sell the business um we wanted to sell two-thirds of the business um and he he i was yeah, I was twenty I was twenty-three. Um and in this stage. And so he he approached Brett. Um Brett was nine years older than me. He had um equity in his property. I was I was about to get married, I just bought a house, I had no money behind me whatsoever. Um and um so he approached Brett and, and said, I'm thinking of selling two thirds of the business, would you be interested? and buying it. And Brett said, well, I would, John, but only if Tim's involved because he knows the business inside out. Um, and so we raised, um, we raised the money, which was a six figure sum that we had, we we had to raise. Most of it was raised against Brett's house. I managed to find, managed to get a 10,000 pound loan. Um, and I had, um, I had some shares in the business, but Brett had the most shares in the business yeah and um, because he'd put the most money in against his house um but it was with the promise that at some point he would equal out the shares because he knew that my input into the business would be more than his mm-hmm. um and to his credit, three years after we we bought the business, he did that and and I didn't pay anything for it that's impressive a little sweater. So, so I became yeah. a fifty fifty yeah I became a fifty fifty shareholder and we bought the business um and um and that was in 1990, and that so we we changed from Intex Vended refreshments to Intex vending systems. So we kept the same, um, more or less, the same name, obviously for the customers that we already had. Mm-hmm. So um, even before, then, Tim, if I could just cut you off
0: there. So yeah, sure. as you're going from 19 to 23, because um, I know there's entrepreneurs' spirits in every business, and there's 19 to 23 year olds. As you're as you're working there and you're learning, in the back of your head, are you like, I am starting my own business? There's no doubt about it. I'm just taking whatever skills I can right now.
1: I, I would have to be honest and say that it wasn't uh, in in those early days. There may have been some glimpses of it in in my, um, but it wasn't. I Tony, I came from a background of I grew up on a council estate, and in, in, um, my my mum my and dad were very working class. We never had a car. My school meals were paid for by the government because my mum and dad couldn't afford afford them on on my dad's my dad's salary. So entrepreneurship in my family wasn't wasn't on the agenda. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, you got a job, you got a job, and you stayed in that job for life, or, or certainly for a for a long time. And so that was what I grew up with. So. To move from that into owning your own business was, was a huge step. So it started, I, I started to have thoughts about it, but it certainly wasn't, it wasn't, you know, this is what I must do. Yeah. Um, whereas these days, probably kids going to university or whatever, you know, it, it's, it's planted in their brains, isn't it, from, from quite an early age. Yeah. But it certainly wasn't part of my thought process. Yeah, in the mainstream media um, and seeing business. I worked hard. Like hard and things developed. As, as, as I put the effort in, things developed um, and I'm, I've got a creative, very creative brain. Um, I'm not good at art, but I'm very creative. Um, and as I get stuck into things, I start to think, uh, how, we, how can we make this better? How can we do it better? And, and that gradually things developed.
0: Yeah. So, so we go from in-text vended refreshment services to in-text vended systems. Yeah. And what was the idea and, behind changing the name was-
1: there? it just it was, so that was a tweak of the name so the customers had consistency with the, with with the name okay um it didn't mean anything you know the name in text didn't didn't mean anything it wasn't a great brand or anything like that um and so that was 1990 uh, that happened so i became a business owner at the age of 24 the same year that i got married so i, I we started the business in march and um and i got married in august that year um And, um, and then a year later, um, there was a a big recession came 91, 92, 93, there was a big recession in the UK. Um, And when you've borrowed everything you had to buy a business, and then a recession comes along, and most a lot of your business shrinks, that they were tough days. Very, very tough times. Um, And we had to fight hard to survive. Um, And, um, but we we, um, we, we, were, we were really struggling, um, and, uh, somehow we managed to pull through it. Um, and then, um, about a year later, I managed to win a big contract with Vodafone. Okay. So in, in the the setup of the business, you'd probably class my role as MD and Brett was sales director. Okay. Um, so I did, I, I, um, I I hired staff. I made staff redundant. I, you know, I I did all that kind of stuff. Um, but um, but I also had some customers. and I also had some involvement in, in sales. And I won probably the biggest contract we'd ever had with Vodafone. and um, It was a few hundred thousand a year turnover. It was a, it was a big big contract to win. Um, and we had that for about four years. we only we knew it'd only be a four year contract because they were building a new head office, and once the new head office was built, they'd have catering and it, and so we we had to you know um make hay while the, while the sun was shining with it um, and we were now um I think we were we were probably probably now about eight or eight or nine years in. Um, now Brett said that he would give the business ten years, and then he would think about getting getting out. Um, he was nine years older than me, um, and in about twelve years, I could tell he was starting. You know, he'd gone past his ten years, and he was he, he was starting to think about moving moving on. Um, and I had a company um, contact me just um, just to see if we were interested in selling, just out of the blue. Um, and I was debating whether to show it to Brett because. Um, I knew that as soon as I showed it to Brett, the pound size, like you know, like the cartoons would appear in his eyes. And um, anyway, I, I decided no, I had to show it to him, so I did. And sure enough, I could see the pound signs in his eyes. Oh yeah. Um, but we didn't go back to that company. We I'd also had a friend of mine that had sold his business connected to vending, and I phoned, and I called him up and I asked him what process he, he went through, and he recommended a company to me that would put the that would market our business. Um, and so we did. We marketed it, um, and we, we we sat down and put a price on what what we would be happy to sell the business for. Obviously, my price was a lot higher than what Brett's price was because I was nine years younger. I still had a long, you know, a, a lot of life to do. I still had a big mortgage. Brett had already paid off his mortgage. Um, anyway, we put the company on the market. We had some interesting conversations with a few names in vending that are no longer around in vending, as you know, because vending's changed in, over that, that time. Um, but from the offers that we had, we were able to gain a value for for, for the business. And but we were never going to get anywhere near the offer that I would be happy with. And um, and so I sat down with Brett one day and said, "Look." Um, we're not going to get, we're not going to get the offer. So we need to come up with a different arrangement. And, and Brett said to me, well, we just have to carry on as we are. I said, no, we can't do that. Brett, he, he said, why? He said, I said, because you've already sold. I, I can tell you've, you've moved on So we've got to find a different, a different solution. And, um, and so we did, we, we sat down and we worked out a price based on the value of the business. And I had no idea whether I could borrow the money, um, but I did um, actually borrowed it very easily from the from the bank. Uh, probably would struggle a bit harder these days for the banks. But in those days, you sat down with your, your bank manager, worked out a deal. Um, and so we worked out a deal where where Brett got a lump sum, but then I paid in the rest over over a number of years. And that that meant it didn't put too much pressure on the business or on me. Um, and Brett, it had to be Brett had to have enough at the start, he felt comfortable. But he knew that he could trust me for, you know, for, for the rest of it. And so the, the um, interesting thing so I think was about-
0: I think about there Tim, as like when when you guys first got into business together, did you guys have any relationship really for
1: um yeah i mean only in only in terms of we'd worked together for two years within within the company, but we would class ourselves as friends colleagues, yeah. but we didn't meet we didn't meet out of business
0: so it's it's such a like an impressive success story of of two people coming together and you kind of did a handshake deal at the beginning and then a handshake at the yeah. end and both worked out. That yeah. does not happen too often as <laughs> from, yeah, from no. what I've heard well, out it's, there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And the solicitors, um, representing us at the sale could not believe how relaxed the pair of us were. You know, they, they almost want to create a situation where you're falling out. Yeah. Um, so they can then, <laughs> yeah. um, and we we were very relaxed, and we still have a good friendship now. We still meet up from time to time, um, and there's never been any Brett, Brett's had his money, um, and there's never ever been any ill feeling at all between us. Um, yeah. So yeah, it was because um, when you get into business with somebody, it's like getting married. Mm-hmm. You're going to spend a lot of time with that person, and um, and that's why many end in divorce, <laughs> both in business <laughs> yeah. and in marriage, you know, and in marriages. Yeah, and, then, and and you know what, like you know. That could be you know that could be terrible um but no we've um thankfully um i got married in nineteen in 1990 i started a business in 1990 i never divorced brett and i, and I haven't divorced my wife <laughs> we've still got you know we've still got a great relationship on both sides so so far so good
0: <laughs> yeah yeah there's one common denominator and i don't want to bump you up too much but uh you're doing pretty good there
1: <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so we so nineteen to so two thousand and three, I bought the business from Brett. Um, so after thirteen years, um, we'd we ran it together, um, and I took the business on. Um, the staff, um, no issues at all. Um, they they saw probably saw me as the MD anyway, so it was just a continuation of, of, of things. Um, and then you start when it becomes your own business, you then start to want to make your own. Um, impact on it and, and do the things probably that maybe I'd wanted to do before that I couldn't. Um, and you weren't in living in England at this time, but around that time, there was, there was a big push in schools to remove vending machines or change, or at least change it to healthy, to healthier vending. Coca Cola, um, debranded a lot of their machines to try and save the business in schools. Mars did the same, but ultimately schools mostly got rid of their vending machines because um, were, at the time, there was not a lot on the healthy vending front you could put in a, in a machine. Mm-hmm. Um, there was very few products. Um, but we saw it as maybe an opportunity to, to get into schools and get into colleges um, if, if and when healthy, but healthy, healthier products came along. Um, and so we started looking into healthier vending at that, at that time and decided to change the name to Revive Vending. Um, it took about six months to come up with the name. Um, and we changed it to, to, to revive. It just, it suited the, you know, the time and, and what, where we were going. In truth, there still wasn't any healthy products around really. Um, and so we, it was kind of on the back burner. Um, but we kept on looking at it, kept on looking for products. Kept on, and, and as we, as we went along, we, we moved premises a year later. So I took on some much bigger premises um and the, these premises um i was out they were on my on the same estate but they were and the premises that i'm in now and the ones that you know you've been to yeah um and there was a company in here at the time and i didn't know who they were they had a very small out. So one day i was driving past um here with sue um my um uh, who worked for me for many many years it seems 20 29 years or something she's worked for me now and i said to sue i said one day i'd like those premises um and um about six months later, she, she came into the office. She said to me, she said, I've just been in to talk to the guy in that in those premises because he, he wanted a, um, a, a hot drinks machine. And whilst I was leaving, he said, I presume I can, we can take this machine with us when we move. Wow. <laughs> so I literally phoned him that afternoon. And within a few months, a deal was struck and, and I bought the premises um, from him. Now, what made, um, you so, what
0: made you so attracted to the premises? Because I haven't down there. Is it because? Yeah, go ahead.
1: It, it was on the it was on the main road, so visually mm-hmm. it was in a great place. There's a lot of traffic comes down the road. The, the, the building we were in was at the back of the estate. It was a little bit grubby. It just it it wasn't. It, it, it was okay. It was better than some some premises I've seen, but this was vis- visually had had impacts mm-hmm. and if you put your sign a- outside every car that goes past is is going to see it and, yeah. and we and that has you know we've gained business from that there's no no question about it um if i if i'm looking to employ somebody i don't go to an agency i put a sign up outside that um you know a big big flappy sign and we get lots of applications so um it's worked in lots of lots of different ways
0: yeah and um,
1: but also the side of the building was a good shape
0: yeah. Yeah. I mean, those were the things that were going on in my head when you said that, that, that premises. I was exactly what I was thinking, um, since my visit down there. But, uh, the other thing that, so this, this healthy vending, and I know every vending operator that's listening to this right now is saying healthy products don't sell. Um, so early on, gonna <laughs> it's not going to work. Yes. I've, <laughs> I've seen it in the micro markets. They say it as well. Um, but, uh, early on, I'm sure as you were doing research, like, Everyone must have been saying, there is no way, Tim. There's no way, um, you know, distribution channels. Even right now, there's a limited distribution channels to bendy. And to get those healthy products, I can only imagine back in 2003 what that was like.
1: Yeah, and which is why mostly it was on the back burner. We tried a few products, and they didn't sell, and it didn't work. Um, But I didn't give up on it because I just felt that the obesity issue was not going to go away. Uh The government were going to bring in restrictions, at some point in time and i would rather be ahead of the curve than struggling to pick up the pieces afterwards yeah um you, you could imagine i mean coca-cola mars nestle they can afford to lose a lot of business so they're big companies but if you had a lot of business in schools or colleges and suddenly the government said right all the she machines got to come out that's that's a big problem yeah um so um but also i was interested in in wanting to provide better products healthier products than than what we traditionally had in, in in the vending machines and there's nothing wrong with them as a snack you know if you okay, occasional snack is is fine there's nothing wrong there's nothing wrong with that but not every day a number of times a day um and largely you know the vending machines that's that's what they provide yeah um so when did you take the plunge so um, so we kept on looking at it. We kept on playing with ideas. And One of the things I'd realized, and I'm, I'm very aware that um, I could be giving away some competitive advantage here, but um, <laughs> hey-ho. Um, what, I, what I realized was that one of the reasons, uh, in, the, in the early days, what, the reasons the product didn't sell was mainly because they weren't very good products. Along the way, better products started to come on the market. A new niche company started to come along, and and the, the big manufacturers, the traditional manufacturers, they played around with it and still do, but really, um, they concentrate on what they're good at, which is you know the products that we that we know and love. Mm-hmm. Um, so you had to you needed these niche companies that were really totally focused on providing genuinely healthier products. The problem then is you have the distribution channel issue. But a bigger problem than that is that the vending machine's got an image problem. And if you have a vending machine that's got most that's got um you know one of the big brands written all over the outside of the machine, um and you have a couple of lines in that machine that are healthy, even if they're great products, they probably won't sell. No. You've you've gotta you've gotta go for it big. And that that means removing all of those other products from the machines. Now, that's a big, that's a big deal to do because my life had been built on those, those products. You know, my, my, my whole income had come from those products. Um, but also you had to change the image of the machine because people that don't, we, we know from our sales, um, across the vending industry, you know, we, we, we know, um, what the turnover is through the machines. What we don't know is how many, how many people never use our machines,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which is actually a much higher percentage than the ones that do. Probably, I, I would estimate it at 90% of the population hardly use vending. Yeah. Um, and um, now the 10% that do, or 15 or 20, whatever it is, use them a lot. But there's a big group of people that don't. So to attract those people you have to change the look of the machines and eventually we came up with we have to try lots of different things covering the machines in wood um and uh, and we've gone through lots of different design changes along the way um but what you have to do is you have to create create an impact you have to create you have to stop a person in their tracks when they're walking past your vending machines to, 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 to go what the heck is that over there yeah um because if they if they walk if they see vending and they think traditional vending and they don't want that, they're not gonna walk anywhere near your machines. Yeah, a lot of and times And that was a big
0: a lot of times uh yeah, every day every day person would consider it a, you know, a distressed purchase and they'll, they'll yeah. do whatever it takes yeah. to avoid that. But, uh, a hundred percent, I've seen your setups and we'll have pictures on them so people can see them, you know, if they're logged in on YouTube, but it is an inviting feel is what, what that, that would, that you guys, you know, use around the vending machines. And, um, yeah. I'm sure and that would, it, yeah, go ahead, Tim. Sorry.
1: It, it, and it, but it was, it was a big, a big risk. Um, it was, you know, it was, it was took a lot of investment, a lot of time. Um, we had, you know, I've got, I've got tools here, um, different saws. We, we do all, so we do all the designs ourselves. And the, part of the reason we do that is that it's not easy to farm out to people, be, um, because all the machines are different um different models are shaped differently. So you, you know, you, you do a lot of stuff, bespoke work. So you need people that can change the, that, that design and um, quite quickly, um, it 's got a, you want the you want quality we you know we're, we we are um it's a very much a quality offering very different to traditional vending which would often be a subsidized second hand vending machine we're often buying brand new equipment then covering it in wood um, but um having now done it and and it's and we've been doing it really we you know we became doozy, um back in um, 2015. So that, that was our first install, um, and we we now have five five and a half years. All right, four years maybe. Take COVID out of the situation because <laughs> yeah. that's taken a year out yeah. for everyone. Um, but we now we now know it works, and we know what works and what doesn't work. Um, so so if,
0: if you're installing traditional uh, vending machines, that's Revive vending. And then the doozy brand is the wood. It's, it's what I've seen in the pictures at the universities yes. and the hospitals. Yep. Okay. Yep.
1: Correct. And it's very much a retail, uh, at the moment, all of our business is very much in retail settings. So it could be in the leisure center, open to the public. It could be a shopping center, um, a university, although it's not the public, it's still a retail setting with the students. Um, so there's, it's a big change in pr- pricing points in, you know, normally in factories and offices, um a lot of the you, you don't really you, most people don't really go over a pound for the, the, the price of the item a cup of coffee could be anywhere between free vend up to uh maybe a pound at the most yeah um here we're talking of products we our products could be anywhere between one pound fifty to nearly four pounds depending on what it is and a cup of coffee could be anywhere between two pounds to two pounds seventy so it's a big change.
0: It's a big change. Is
1: that, um, is that change because of
0: the the cost to you um, uh, that your healthier products cost more money? So then you have to do it, or is it because yes. you have them inviting what is, feel?
1: Yeah, you got to you got to you got to put effort into the inviting feel. So there's investment there, a lot of investment there. Yes, generally healthier products will cost more because they don't have the. The additives; they don't have the cheaper products like sugar, mm-hmm. fat, um, palm oil. Uh, you know all those kind of things. Um, if you're replacing that with a better quality food, naturally the, the price will go up. So there's there's different reasons, but also um, with coffee, you know, to be honest, we could make coffee. We can make coffee at a lot lower price. We could sell it at a lot lower price. But you're then saying we're cheaper and not as good as Costa.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: that, that, that you're mean,
0: using the you're same anything. same type of machines, and you're using the same type of beans. Yeah. So there's no reason that you're not offering the same thing as yeah.
1: Costa or Starbucks. I, I would argue, I would argue we're better than Costa. Yeah. Um. Therefore, I, I at least need to be the similar, similar pricing to that. Yeah, I love that. Um, and you've got us spending people we've got to get our heads around that because we're so used to a much cheaper vending price. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, don't have the same volume of drinks going through your machines as you do in a factory, but the margins are much 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 bigger much, yeah much, much bigger and
0: on your buy re- vending site um you say that you have sixty percent healthy products and a doozy life is eighty percent healthy products are those a hundred percent that's that's what you live by
1: yeah I, I would, and, and my my aim um is actually in um, the doozy would get healthier and healthier. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and revive will get healthier and healthier. Um, uh, but we're, we're at the very early stages of this, and you can't, you can't force healthy food onto people. Yep. In, in, a, in a factory setting, which is most, revive supplies mostly to factories and offices. Um, I can't force that on, on people if there's a genuine desire within that building within the with, with the, the boss or whatever and the staff that they want to have healthier then you can work with that mm-hmm. but if you go into um if you go into a place and the, the boss decides i want it and forces it on the staff it won't work yeah um a quick funny story um we had a company that did that. They wanted, um, they wanted to take all of the chocolate bars out of the machine and all the crisps. Um, and this was before Doozy and, and so it was just a traditional snack machine. So we did that and we put what was available at the time. Um, a lady that worked within the company emailed the boss and they forwarded it on the email to us to say, your healthy vending initiative is making me fatter. Mm-hmm. Her reasoning was... But because she could no longer buy Mars bars in the machine, she had to go over to the local supermarket and buy them in packs of
0: five <laughs> <laughs> i
1: you I mean, that is how it works <laughs> um yeah so um it's been a it's it's been a very very interesting very exciting journey over over the last five or six years and it's getting more exciting as time goes on um we're seeing the demand for what we're doing um, increasing, um, and but also better products are coming on board all the time. Yeah. and The distribution of those products. I yeah. mean, we're now at a stage where we can order, usually deal direct in a lot of cases, direct with the supplier, um, with the manufacturer themselves and, and have it delivered, delivered to us. Um, but sometimes we can get it through the, the standard channels because um, people like automatic retailing, um, are, are starting to supply more and more of these products now. They're seeing, starting to see. I mean, they still have, you know, their their favourites. They're, they're, favorites. they're mm-hmm. always going to sell lots and lots of, um, of products, but they are definitely, there's definitely a bigger range of healthy products now.
0: And what what do you go about classifying a healthy product? I know that's going through a lot of vending operators' minds right now. Like, who is Tim to say what a healthy product is?
1: Um, well. That's a, it's It's an interesting one and it's, and it's one not to get too hung up about. Yeah. Um, I think there's two things. If you want to say your machines are healthy, you, you're, 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 you're getting into, you know, uh, dodgy water really, because what is healthy to one person isn't necessarily healthy to another person. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it is very much about healthier. Um, and but also improving um the uh things like vegan products um vegetarian products Mm -hmm. um and um gluten-free and all all those kind of things as as well because there's a if you want to attract more people to use your machines you need to have this 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 bigger range Mm -hmm. and when you're taking when you're going when you're at the early stages of something it, we we could not if really to 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 be truly healthy, a product needs to be untouched at manufacturing. Yeah, the, the, so for instance, porridge oats, porridge oats are not rolled; are just just big porridge oats. Are probably the only breakfasts that you can buy that do not that have not been heavily manufactured and be and and had additives put in into the product. Mm-hmm. Virtually every other cereal you can buy will have sugar and salt and fat added to it along the way. Um, So to provide a machine that is purely, genuinely absolutely healthy, which is almost impossible, would mean that the shelf life of that product is one day, two days. And that's not going to work. So you need a certain amount of shelf life. um, But there are now... Some products out there, um, that, um, are, are genuinely much, much health, healthier than traditional, a lot of traditional vending. Yeah. And, and, and that's where we're at now. And, and gradually in, in time, we will probably go for products that do have a shorter shelf life on it. We will be, will be healthier. Mm. But you have to build the name and the brand and, and people have to trust it. And um, so we're, you know, we're somewhere away from that. But that that will happen in time. But we have to work with what what we can work with now.
0: Yeah, yeah, I can definitely see it. I mean, just going on, uh, you know, Amazon for whatever kind of treats that you're trying to find out there. There's so many options now where you're not getting that added sugar and stuff like that. And they taste good. You know, it's just we've yeah. got to get consumers... Number one, the ability to purchase them through the same avenues that, you know, your vending machine offers. But number two is like educating them that it's not the old, it's healthy so it doesn't taste good. It's healthy and it tastes good. That's where, you know, these products are getting to right now.
1: And that's one of the that's one of the big issues you have with uh, vending compared to, say, a micro market. Because with a micro market, you can pick up the product, you can look at it, you can put it back if you want to with vending yes, we've got screens now becoming becoming more available whatever. whatever. Um, but you, you don't have that. So you have to find other ways of communicating with the customer. And that's a journey that, that we're going to be going on over the next few years.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How do we communicate? Um, because vending, you need vending in, in true retail situations where it's the general public coming up to it. But how do you communicate with the with that general public about yeah, you know, those things that you just mentioned. Yeah, um, yeah. I love that challenge. Yeah, but they, it's a big challenge. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they know they know what's in a Mars bar. They know what's in a, a packet of Walkers crisps or whatever. But they won't know what's in a new product that's just come onto the market. Yeah. Um, and and also if you're in a hospital, as we are, um, in a number of hospitals, and you want to change, you've got some new products, you've got to put them in the machine. How do you get that message out to? Staff and 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 visit, visitors that there's new products in in, in the machine. Yeah, um, but there's new technology around that yeah. that will help with that, and that's what yeah. excites me is the new technology.
0: Yeah, this industry. I mean, it's it's ever expanding. Yes, we have. Um, a vending machine, which a box, you know, is a box, you know, and they just kept making the box nicer, but it's really connecting with those consumers and, you know, apps, you know, micro markets, uh, you know, cooler cafes. It's, it's all these other things that, that were, you've you've got a platform to educate the consumers on exactly what you're trying to do with uh, healthy products. So I'm really impressed with, with, it's exactly what the podcast is about think outside the box and not just think but act on it and you take a shot on the healthy products and from what i can see you know from my visit down there and um
1: it seems to be working so it's our future um it's where we're going to be um, yeah. and uh there's a lot you know, there's a lot more to go and i think once once we're through the, the current situation which has been tough you know it's been very very tough Bearing in mind, most of our most of our customers are universities, colleges, and hospitals. Um, You can imagine there hasn't been a lot of business coming through those over over the last twelve months. But yeah, um, we're starting we're we're starting to come through that now, hopefully. And over the next over the next few months, um, that starting that turnover will come back. um, And uh, but also that we're getting inquiries now from new types of um, like shopping centres, for instance, that we would never previously in we went in shopping centres and there's a great opportunity within shopping centres and a great a great opportunity to advertise. And I don't mean necessarily screen advertising, but getting our brands and these products in front of more more people. Yeah, yeah, that's great. If you're still listening to this episode,
0: I want to give you a huge thank you. We're doing our best with this podcast to continue to spread the word of our industry and the unique stories that have led to successful vending businesses. We want to keep the episodes to a reasonable time so we've decided to split this episode in two we'll be releasing the second half of this retail renegade podcast tomorrow and look forward to tuning in